بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So we've been steadily entering into the waters of Surah Ali Imran. Yesterday we had the discussion of this ayah, Allahu la ilaha illahu al hayyul qayyum. And so the completion of the discussion was this point that Allah, He is the only ilah. And thus, our dependence is 100% on him, yet at the same time, he is completely independent of us. He is completely without need of us. And that is one of the essences of our relationship with, with Allah. Going into the next ayah, let me just pull up on the screen for, we, for us to have the full exciting benefit. All right, y'all can see the, the ayah, correct? Very good. Nazala alaykal kitab bil so we were hoping to get to this yesterday, but uh, no surprise, we were not able to. So he has sent down to you, so now we have the prophet being mentioned here, Ka, and the pronoun to you, or on you, the kitab, in truth, confirming what is before you or what came before. And he also brought down the Torah and the Injil. So first, some preliminary points. Um, Let's go back off of this and onto the whiteboard. So first, some Islam 101 type material. Uh, easy question. Uh, what is the difference between a prophet and a messenger? Majority opinion, what is the difference? Uh, what is the difference between the two? Anyone? A messenger of God or any messenger? Messenger of God. Yeah. Not like a messenger of yeah. <laughs> I think that's easy. Anyone? The messenger brings a new sharia and a prophet is uh, doesn't give a law. So so a messenger brings a new kitab, mm -hmm. but not necessarily a new sharia. Oh, okay, a new kitab, huh? Yeah. All right. And so, so yeah. And so, a prophet is is a person who's been appointed by Allah, essentially with two responsibilities. One is to call all their people to the message of La ilaha illallah, that there's no god but God. And then the second part of of their responsibility is to embody it, to live it. Meaning, what does it mean to be someone who who is fulfilling this call. This is a uh, majority opinion, and you're gonna hear me use that term uh, uh, over and over again, that there's not as much unanimity on issues as we would think beyond la ilaha illallah, that there's majority opinion, often overwhelming majority opinion, uh, because one of the questions uh, becomes, is Maryam, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is she a prophet? If we base it on this, then we would say, no, she is not. If, however, we change the definition to visited by Angel Jibril with some sort of assignment, then we would say she is. Right? There's a one specific scholar from about a thousand years ago who uh, is one of the few who holds this opinion. He's a literalist and he argues that she was a prophet. Majority opinion, however, is that the definition of prophethood is this. And then a messenger is a prophet with all the responsibilities of being a prophet. Uh, plus they also have to deliver some sort of kitab. And kitab is not necessarily a book because the, the Quran was not a kitab at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, right? Uh, Asin. Um, is there then a specific designation for Maryam? Meaning it is still a common, uh, appropriate practice to, to say alayhi salam, just like we do alayhi salam with prophets. And, and so, so you'll always find, for example, the anomalies uh, in, in our tradition uh, that sort of break the rule. 
you know. And and so if we were to even take it further, that uh, that Maryam salam is perhaps the most revered of all the people in the Quran itself, perhaps even higher than Ibrahim salam. That maybe she's just an anomaly in terms of humanity. Yeah, but Allah knows best. I mean, a lot of this uh, reveals the point that a big part of of any tradition is the construction of the tradition. Excuse me, Umar. How do you make this claim that Maryam alayhi salam's status might be higher than Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam? I mean, look. This is the, the first Allah time Allah I'm hearing this. Look at the way Allah Taala speaks about her in the Quran. But uh, it's a very, very, it's, it's very gender specific context. Uh, Nisa al-Alamin. I mean, we could say that it's gender specific, but the point is that he still speaks uh, very uniquely about about Maryam compared to anybody else in the Quran. But if uniqueness is the thing, then the same criteria could apply to Adam salam and Isa salam. Well, One, I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't negate the uniqueness of each of the different figures, right? Uh, going through the whole chain of all the prophets down to Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. You know, we could also very much make the argument that the most revered person in the Quran is the Prophet himself. Mm-hmm. But uh, the point is that does not negate, you know, the the uh, the uniqueness uh, or the specialness of Maryam alayhi salam. Right. Uh, late. Uh, this is just a small point, but uh, would do prophets always refer to a kitab? Or do they always have a kitab to refer to or not necessarily? So it seems as though it's not necessarily the case, right? Uh, in the case of, of, if we were to even put them in phases, we have Adam, peace be upon him, through Noah. And it seems as though there's something there, but it doesn't seem as though Noah is making any reference to it. Peace be upon him. Uh, whereas in terms of the prophets of the children of Israel, then they definitely have that. And there's numerous prophets there. Right. Um, and so uh, all of this fundamentally literally Omar. becomes academic discourse. Uh, I just heard somebody's voice. I don't know where yeah. it came from. Omar, can you, can you repeat about the Hazrat Maryam? I miss your point that what you said in the, in the answer to Zayabai. Well, the basic point uh, that, that Dr. Kazi was making is that uh, if we're pointing out that she's spoken of very uniquely, we could also say that about Adam and Jesus, peace be upon them. And I'm saying I'm agreeing with that. And we could also argue that perhaps Muhammad is the most revered of all the people in the Quran, because the whole book is about him. But the point being that that doesn't negate the uniqueness of, of Maryam, just because we can say this person's unique, that person's unique. Uh, let's see, Stephanie is saying, since we consider Isa al-Islam uh, as the word of God, uh, uh, wouldn't she be uh, considered bringing a book? I think that's a, that's a pretty fascinating way to, to, to understand it, yeah. Uh, uh, would we call her a saint? This is another issue of, of constructions and definitions. <laughs> and so she would perhaps be above that status. So awliya, the friends of Allah, she may be even above that status of, of uh, so Saint might actually be a step down. Okay, and all of that fits into uh, uh, further points. So first and foremost, what are we saying? That a prophet is someone with this responsibility and then a messenger is someone who has this additional responsibility of delivering uh, a kitab. The contents of the kitab vary over the generations, uh, meaning over the different uh, kitabs that have been revealed, but the core message is the same message. No God but God coming day of judgment, coming final prophet, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, <clears throat> meaning the kitab itself may not necessarily be giving more rules. And then, and then uh, again, how many prophets have there been in history according to the hadith of the prophet, peace be upon him, on the night journey, he saw 124,000 people. And how many messengers have there been, i.e. how many kitabs have been revealed? There's four in the Quran, other than the Quran, but how many total? 313. Yeah. Uh, most people remember the 124. Most people don't remember the 313. Okay. <clears throat> then of the two that are mentioned here, we have the Torah and we have the Injil. 
Torah may or may not be the same as what Jews speak of as the Torah. It's, it's fair to assume that it probably is. Injil, when we're saying gospel, we don't mean the gospels as in the canonical gospels. At best, we could say the gospels of Jesus, which is not part of the Bible. So what I'm saying, it is not the same as the canonical gospels that we have. Yeah, this is a, a very frequent mistake that you find among, among those in our scholarly tradition. Uh, because nobody claims that the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are revelations to Jesus, peace be upon him. Okay, uh, awesome. Does that mean that modern Christians are not people of the book? So it doesn't negate that. Uh, and in, in fact, that's a, a, it's an important point to bring up. Uh, a couple other terms that we find throughout the Quran, one is Hadu and one is Nasara. Hadu uh, essentially is the Judeans. Nasara are the Nazarenes. The people of, of, uh, of Judea, the people of Nazareth. Okay. And so what I'm saying is that uh, many of our translations will translate Hadu as Jews. And many of our translations will translate Nasara as Christians. And that is potentially a big leap, especially because of the fundamental changes that have happened both in Christianity and Judaism in the time from the prophet PC upon him up to today. That for example, when we speak of the, the Christians who recognize the prophet as the prophet PC upon him, like Waraka, like Bahira, uh, those were monks and generally speaking, they were considered to be Nestorian monks who by the council of Nicaea, which is mainstream Christianity, they were considered to be heretics. So what term works for speaking of modern Jews and Christians, and even the even the text has not been in the original form. We still call them Ahl Kitab. Uh, so, so why would we call them Ahl Kitab? It's they're still connected to a Kitab of Allah, even if it is not. It's in its original form. And so, so do we believe that the Torah has been changed? Majority opinion is that the Torah has been changed. No. Uh, and then the majority opinion is the same for the Injil as well. Now, has it been changed? Allah knows best. Has it been uh, rewritten? Uh, Allah knows best. But these are majority opinions. I mean, the the gospel has been rewritten right i mean that's that's what the council of nicaea was about they were determining what pieces of their religion to keep and what to discard um, i mean yeah go ahead and and the other the other question i wanted to ask is okay so if we say that Injil does not refer to the modern gospels then is that the book and then how do we, because uh, the, the, the Torah, while, while we, the majority opinion is accepted that it is change, it's still, you know, the, it's still the book, even if it's in some modified form. But if we're not accepting that the gospels are, the, the canonical gospels are the Injil, then what, how, like, how does that qualifier for Ahlul Kitab still hold? Mm -hmm. So why do we regard people who self-identify as Christians as Ahlul Kitab? Essentially, what is the real reason? Because that's what's been handed down, you know, through the generations. So those who self-identify uh, in whatever language as Christians and Jews in particular, that's what's been handed down and that's what's been grandfathered in. That's actually what it really comes down to. But the supporting point, however, is they're still referring to a book 
whose roots may still be originally wahi, originally revelation. Like for example, in, in I don't want to get too far off the base, but there's the there's the theory of the of the of the book of Kela, or the 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 Gospel of Q, and one of the theories in the historical critical uh, analysis of the Bible of the New Testament is that is that at least two, if not three, of the four Gospels are probably taken from one source, this hypothetical source, and maybe that's the Injil. Uh, especially it gets interesting because there are metaphors that we find in the gospels that we also find in the hadith literature so many of you are familiar with the narration about trust in the law where the bird leaves the nest not knowing if it's going to have any food and it comes back you know through the day with a full stomach and you find that both frequently cited uh, in our sources uh, taken from the hadith literature and you also find that in the Gospels as well. And it would be a wonderful coincidence, but um, uh, but um, uh, seems like there's more to it. And so, uh, Musab, uh, yeah, I think we could also make the point that Ibrahim salam is the best of humanity as well. And and Abdullah, yes, this is exactly the point that I'm making. It's more about the people of the book as opposed to the emphasis being on the book, which brings us back to the point of relationships. Uh, Ahant. So, you know, if we're looking at the context of outside of the, the Abrahamic, you know, traditions, yeah. um, you know, what are some, you know, commentaries on that? Because, you know, the, there are some Indian Islamic scholars that say some branches of Hinduism are, are also considered uh, people of the book, yeah. especially if you take ancient Vedic scriptures, they, they preach, you know, you know, Tawheed and they reject idol worship. So mm -hmm. what are your I thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's something that's definitely worth considering, right? I mean, there were periods uh, in, in the Mughal history where the Hindus were considered to be people of the book. Later critics say that was just so that the kings could marry, could marry Hindus. But the point is that uh, I think that is all worth considering for every of the ancient traditions. And there is a, there is a, the books written on this, uh, had, um, you know, available. Uh, I, I, I forgot the name, but I have it. I can take a picture, send it to you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's the first part of just the academic discussion. Okay. Now taking this uh, a step further, a uh, simple question. How old is Islam? Anyone? We get to see if I get impressed or if I get as, sad, as old as humanity. Oh, snap. Mashallah. Okay. Yes. And so, if the author of the Quran is saying that that he has revealed the Torah and the Injil, then what are we saying? That what was the religion of Moses, peace be upon him? It was Islam. Now we wouldn't have called it Islam because it's a different language. What was the religion of Jesus, peace be upon him? It would be Islam. Yeah. Meaning all these 120,000 prophets would have been prophets of Islam. If that works, then what we're saying is that Judaism and Christianity, for example, are offshoots of Islam. What do you think? Uh, Austin, raise your hand. Are you raising your hand? Um, yeah. Why is it not as old as, or ageless, I guess? Like, because before there were humans, there were also jinns and angels and things sure, like we could, that. Too, we, right? could, we could run with that point too as well. The key point being that uh, we're saying that it's not 1,442 years old. That the Ummah of Muhammad is 1,442 years old. But the deen uh, that the prophet is delivering is, you know, whether we say as old as humanity or, or ageless, yeah. So when I'm speaking of, of if we're saying that Jesus is, is teaching uh, what we're calling Islam, and it's easier to say no God but God, and then Christianity comes later on, then we might potentially argue that Christianity is an offshoot. And then prior to that, Moses is teaching 
you know, no God but God. And then Judaism forms, we're saying Judaism is an offshoot, which is the inverse of how it is commonly taught. But again, fundamentally, this is an academic point. But we have to go through all these academic points just to just to raise some, you know, to 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 raise some questions. So, uh, uh, Stephanie, uh, uh, I'm not understanding the point. All are all one in the in the same. If you can explain that either, you know, on mic or in text. Uh, as old as the old Muslim alive, if all Muslims die, does Islam still exist? Uh, potentially, it does. Potentially, it does not. In offshoot, in what sense? The way Sunni see Shias, or the way offshoot in a different sense? In the sense that the root of what became Christianity, the source material for Christianity, if the, it is the teachings of Jesus, then it would be taking the teachings of Jesus and going in a different direction. In the way many Jews will teach that Christianity and Islam are offshoots of Judaism, right? Starting out here, but then veering off in the wrong direction. Uh, in the case of Christianity, the understanding of God, bringing off the wrong direction in terms of prophethood in the case of Islam. Uh, Lace, you're making these signals. I don't know if you're talking to us or... Okay. <clears throat> so now getting into the idea of a kitab. So when Allah is revealing a book, this is now the core of our lesson. What is he giving us? How would you answer this question? Guidance. Okay, so easiest answer in the world. Okay, so we'll say guidance because I kept the question so general. What does that mean? How to conduct ourselves, how to live our life with other people. So basically, how to be in any relationship. Okay, okay, what else? how to fulfill our purpose okay. on earth. Okay, so we have uh, how to conduct our relationships, how to fulfill our purpose, uh, explanation of reality. Yes, all of these. Uh, Stephanie Mirza. Uh, maybe like course correction? Yeah, I Did think you... course correction is a big part of this too. Uh, uh, especially if we're saying that people are born on fitrah, you know. Uh, Abdullah, illumination, translating the higher order. Ooh, nice. This is, uh, Abdullah, have you already started studying the Ishraqi philosophy? Because it seems like you'd like that. Prescriptions, reminders, you know. So in the most simple sense, in the most simple, basic language, all your answers are correct. It's basically opening our eyes. No, I'll make one more point. Uh, I'm hearing a voice, but it's very hard to hear who's speaking. Like Paul? No, I don't hear you. Yeah, it's, it sounds like that ball. Can, can you hear me now? Kind of. Uh, speak and then I'll try to repeat what you're saying. So the, the one more thing is the kitab gives maybe the older version or older scripture or older pathway may have been corrupted or lost. Mm -hmm. And so it would also be, yeah, a course correction for, for the, the followers of the older scriptures, yeah. I mean that we will we'll speak about in a second. So, okay, so so what we're saying is that in the most simple nutshell, it's opening our eyes, which I think all of us already understand, especially at this point. You know, a week a week and a couple of days into into the class, and then we would then say, okay, well, there's more to your eyes. It's opening your heart and everything, but the idea being that do I need a scripture to have a relationship with Allah? Simple question, those of you who've taken classes with me before, you know, do I need to have, can I have a relationship with Allah, a correct relationship with Allah without uh, Islam? Yeah, absolutely. Can I have a correct relationship with Allah without knowing about the Prophet, peace be upon him? Yeah. Can I have a correct relationship with Allah without Islam, without the Prophet, without the Quran? Yes to all those. And, uh, and the point is that 
the purpose of the scripture on the one hand is to make sure everyone is, is having that correct relationship. But for those people who already have a correct relationship, it's also to open their eyes further. See what I'm saying here? That every person, no matter how close you are to Allah, your eyes can be opened wider. Okay, Ahant, so what you're basically saying is that oh, you I'll come to you can... in a second. Uh, first, first uh, Ahant, and then, and then Dr. Kazi. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Dr. Kazi. I can. Hey, Dr. Kazi, go ahead and then Ahant. Uh, so basically, you're saying you're you're saying that you can have a correct relationship with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala without Scripture and yes. messengers, correct? Correct. Okay. And then I'm saying, no matter what is the nature of your relationship with Allah, there is always space for improvement. Okay. Uh, Asha says, isn't that what we had before we converted, we had a relationship with God? Uh, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be able to, to speak uh, uh, about you in particular, but I'm saying that uh, a person can intuitively have a correct relationship with, with Allah, yes, without being taught any of this, without the label of Muslim. Uh, isn't there an ayah that says Islam is the only acceptable religion to, uh, uh, acceptable to Allah? Yeah, it'll be coming on a little later in the surah. Uh, and a thing to, to, to check, uh, to define is, if I'm having a relationship with Allah, without knowing about the Quran, without knowing about the Prophet, peace be upon him, is that not Islam? Meaning, can I have Islam without being taught Islam? Okay. You can call an awareness why, uh, and not a relationship. Why not? Why uh, Mullah has explained further. So I think it should be the, the level of awareness, but not the relationship. Because in relationship, you need some, some, some objectivity and some subjectivity into it. Yeah, but, yeah, we're adding so, a lot of nice terms. I don't think any of these is necessary. Okay, so so you need some connectivity, right? I mean, wh what is wh how you describe the relationship and how we can improve that relationship? Okay, just the awareness, right? The the self consciousness. Okay, but rather, I would stick to that rather than having a relationship because relationship is a big, high demand, okay. uh, you know, concept. Okay, in my so, mind. So yeah, fair enough. And so then let's take a look. In Surah Luqman, what is the story of Luqman, right? So there's two schools in who Luqman is. One school of Luqman is that he's someone who had interaction with many prophets over the course of his life. But the other school of Luqman is that he had no interaction whatsoever with any sort of believers. And then what do we see that Luqman then, if we go by the second school, what do we see about Luqman alayhi salam? That uh, Musab, I don't think anyone refers to him as a prophet though. Uh, these refer to commonly as a, as a wise person. So we bless Luqman with wisdom. It doesn't necessarily mean that he is a prophet. And so be grateful to Allah. If you're grateful to Allah, it's for your own good. Who is ungrateful, Allah doesn't need it. Yeah. And then Luqman is on his deathbed and he's saying, oh, my little son, do not commit shirk. Yeah. Shirk is the worst thing you can do. And then there's a side point about your relationship with your parents. We'll skip past that. And then Luqman continues, even if it's something as small as a mustard seed. So in our language, something as small as an atom or smaller, hidden in a rock or in the skies, Allah will bring it forth. When? On the Day of Judgment. And he's saying to his son, establish Salah. Call to what is right, forbid what is wrong. Have sabr against whatever hits you. Do not, be do not be arrogant with people. Don't be boastful. Don't walk with pride. Allah does not love any of that. In the way you walk, don't be arrogant, don't be talk too loud, don't be annoying with your with the things that you say. And so we're saying that Luqman 
uh, has potentially figured out all of the core of Islam without any interaction with any other person. Malahat, what do you think? Yeah, I have to I have to do some research. I'll get back Fair to enough. you tomorrow, inshallah. Okay. Okay, inshallah. I'm literally just taking this from Muntakhab Nisab, by the way. So yeah, so, but I, uh, if you're taking from the Muntakhab Nisab, but Dr. Sahab also claim, and I forgot the name of the book, that you know, there is might be another third option that he might be a Nabi, not a prof, not a Rasul, but Nabi. Uh, so I'm not familiar with that reference. But yeah, that's what I'm, I'm trying to find some detail, inshallah. Okay. Yeah. And so, so uh, Musab, in terms of why do we say alayhi salam, again, that's what we're taught, what, that's what's handed down in terms of the proper way to address him. And then there is a theory, Abdul Yusuf Ali has a theory that Luqman is the same as Aesop. The Luqman is African, perhaps from Ethiopia. And then Aesop is the Ethiop. And what's common among them is these fables that they would, that they would share. Okay. But... <clears throat> What are we arguing here? The, the point is that whatever level I'm at in my relationship with Allah, the goal is then to figure out how to make my relationship with Allah deeper. And so the question for each of you is if you look at your relationship with Allah today versus a year ago, in what ways is it stronger? And do that as not an official homework assignment, but as, as a personal reflection. And I suspect that there will be a parallel between uh, if and how your relationship with Allah has increased and what is the nature of your relationship with the Quran. It could also be that it's the opposite. Meaning, is your relationship with the Quran today compared to a year ago more or less the same? And by saying relationship, I'm including all aspects. I'm including the depth of your appreciation of it or the, the depth of your engagement with it, as well as quantity and quality of study and such. Because the goal I want to be able to say is when I look back over the course of each year, that my relationship with Allah has improved on XYZ uh, planes, as well as my depth of relationship with the Quran has improved on XYZ planes, which then means what? Also, my relationship with the Prophet, peace be upon him. But the obstacle to this is that we're not really, we all understand that you want to keep growing as a Muslim. But when we get so full uh, or overloaded with life, the growth part doesn't happen. So the point I'd like you to all consider is every seven to 10 years, you need to rediscover your own Islam. And what you will find is that if you're being honest with yourself, is that, oh, so the obstacle I'm saying, old fat is literally just life itself is that uh, for all of us, the Islam that we've been given as children is usually, for most people, probably not the people in this class because you've all been taking classes for a while, for most people, the Islam that they have to su somehow sustain life with. And it doesn't work. Why? Because every seven to 10 years, you're uh, in terms of your outlook on life, a very different person. Meaning, so shift from the understanding of the, the Quran from today versus a year ago. Compare how you look at life today versus how you looked at life 10 years ago. And see if you can identify what ways you look at life differently. So for the 20-year-olds, you know, how did you look at life when you were 10? I think that's easy to argue. But even for the 50-year-olds, how did you look at life when you were 40? Things have changed. Which means, what else are we saying? I'm saying fundamentally your heart has aged. And for Islam to be a path to Allah, that must also catch up too. But what often happens is that, you know, you may get married and then you may have kids. And so you stop thinking about your own growth of these things, you know, until it really starts catching up with you at some point. 
and you feel like nothing, none of this is helping you. And so, so a point of very, very serious introspection, which I invite all of you to really, really do, is compare your relationship with Allah today versus a year ago, your Quran today versus a year ago, the Prophet today versus a year ago. Then make it a bigger question. Look at how you differently you look at life today versus 10 years ago. Now, because we're speaking about the heart aging 10 years, what this is also saying is that if you're married, you will probably also have to rediscover your marriage every seven to 10 years. Again, it's easy to forget about this because you know you might be so focused on children and their growth for, for the first 30 years of their life that you forget about those things. We're bringing this back. What we're saying is that you will otherwise reach a point in the context of your relationship with Allah that it can no longer sustain what you need. And that's what you start seeing is people in their late 40s and 50s start committing all kinds of inappropriate behaviors that they themselves never would have considered to do when they're in their 20s or 30s because they start giving up. Any thoughts, reflections? Would it be fair to say that um, that our relationship with other people is projected on our relationship with God or the other way around or vice versa? Um, like, would it be more appropriate? Um, uh, I want to say yes, but uh, explain more. Like how, how are you understanding? Like this? how, you know, oftentimes I have seen that people who struggle in their relationships with other people also struggle in their relationship with God. Mm, okay. so there there so, is a lack of depth in on both sides. So I'm wondering if it is the projection of how they perceive God is basically a projection of their relationship with other people you know what i mean i don't well, know i would say they're definitely related and more often the relationship is how do you look at god versus how do you look at your parents and and so uh i think you've all heard the, or those of you who've who've taken class with me uh have heard my story about atheism probably a bunch of times mm -hmm. that over the course of the past you know over 20 years 100 percent of of the people who've come to me saying that they're becoming atheist uh, the issue was never academic arguments. You know, how can you have good and evil? How can you have free will and predestination and all that stuff? It was, they might start that way. The issue 100% of the time, after letting them talk and talk and talk and talk, was that they would always have some sort of a broken heart. And, and that broken heart would very often be a feeling of resent. And very often it would be resent against their parents. And most often it would be resent against their fathers. This has been literally the case 100% of the time. And sometimes it's not resent against the parents. Sometimes it's a low self-esteem. And their, their uh, assertion of atheism becomes um, more of a statement of, of their own self-agency uh, and power. But it's been the same thing over and over again. And I'm speaking literally over 100 cases. Uh, Ahant. So didn't uh, so you had like mentioned you know low self esteem like in a lot of your like other like classes of the core sort of like reason you know um, sort of like going through these classes you know what are some ways to Islamically or, or from the the Quranic lens like raise that or like you know you know reconcile that and s sort of turn back to like Allah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so one part I didn't emphasize in, in the ayah we looked at is nazala, uh, which is the part that I was realizing as I was saying all this that I was supposed to focus on, is, is literally the idea of revelation being sent down step by step. And so the point being that <clears throat> the growth happens not from, you know, you're not a hunt today and then tomorrow you've changed your name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's Today you're a hunt and tomorrow you're a slightly better version of a hunt. Or today you're a hunt and a month from now you're a slightly better version of a hunt, meaning a 0.0001% increase. 
and then another month later, another increase. Or in the case of me, you know, I'm Muzaffar today, and then hopefully a month from now, uh, a 0.001% increase in the quality of me being me. And so as that is growing, you know, then a lot of this will be addressed. But of course, the best case scenario is you're growing with a teacher who's guiding you. And even better than that is you're growing with a teacher who's guiding you in a cohort that you're all working both with and against each other. So think of Abu Bakr and Omar also being in competition with each other too. Uh, Olpat. So I've been um, reflecting on this since we started Surat al-Fatiha. Yeah. So I remember the concept of knowledge being internalizing it and not just consuming it kind of stood out to me since the Faith Foundations course. Um, and I've been trying to be mindful of that, but I noticed that there are some things that I've continually struggled with since the Faith Foundations course. Like some things course. that... Yeah. Huh? Go ahead, go ahead. Some things that I thought I internalized and then as we we're going through it again this year, I'm like, oh wait, I have new questions or I hadn't thought of it that way. So I'm kind of revisiting them again. And it feels like the internalizing part <laughs> never really ends. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So is that part of the seven to 10 years um, of reviewing what we're... So, it, uh, so a way to think about this is, again, if you do a self-assessment and compare yourself with a couple of years ago and pick you know, any number, even arbitrarily, and it could be related to different uh, other life moments, you know, perhaps even different grades in school and compare and contrast, just making, giving yourself an honest assessment of where are you strong, where are you struggling? So the easiest place to start is with the actions, right? So if I asked every person in this room, make you know, a, an honest assessment with yourself, what is the condition of your prayers today? And then compare that with a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. And, and the honest assessment would include quantity as well as quality. Quality includes you know, speed, you know, how calm are you when you're doing it? How focused are you? And just make a, 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 an honest uh, self-assessment. Uh, but don't make that self-assessment of value judgment that, okay, I'm a horrible person or I'm awesome. And then do that with your fasting. Do that with charity. Charity might be limited by, by how much uh, money a person has. That can be the doorway to start the process. But another aspect to look at is, you know, how much confidence do you have in Allah? So, for example, uh, for anyone when you're making du'a to Allah, you know, let's say you make it, you even made du'as to Allah during this class, like, you know, please make this class end soon, you know, whatever the du'a person made, okay? Uh, what is your level of confidence and understanding of the prayer getting answered? So, for example, and this is not me boasting or anything like that, uh, I have full conviction that whatever it is that I ask of Allah at any moment, the prayer has been answered. But I may not see the manifestation of the prayer. And even if it's put before me, I may not even recognize it. But a change has happened somewhere. So, so for example, if I'm saying to Allah, Ya Allah, please bless everybody in this class. Okay, uh, I literally believe that it may be that an, Allah has literally sent an angel to go do something, but something has happened. Uh, for many of us, when we're making a dua, it's, you know, it's the hope. Okay, will I see what I need? Will I get what I need? So what I'm also saying is assumed is that in terms of what I need, it's going to be provided. And the proof of that is the last nearly 50 years of my life. It doesn't mean I don't have to do anything, uh, but the rizq is there. Okay, the sustenance is there. And so what I'm saying is that I had to reach a point to be able to have these realizations. And so other tests would be, you know, what is the condition of your gratitude? What is the condition of your anxiety? All those things. And think of any indicator you can and do a self-assessment. Uh, I think having questions, however, it does not mean so the, the material has not been internalized. Um, but the thing to observe is, okay, do these questions start getting heavier 
or are they just things that we're wondering about? So for example, free will predestination is a very, very common question. And is it a question such that my faith actually feels like it shakes? But how do I know if my faith is shaking if my action is getting weaker? So a lot of times I'll have students come to the office say, and they'll say, I feel like I don't really have any faith. Well, how are you doing in your prayers? So I make all my prayers. Then I suggest, okay, maybe the problem is not your faith. Maybe the problem is your morale. If you're still able to make all your prayers. Uh, what do you think, Wolfat? Make sense? Okay. Uh, Sadia. So I know some people um, um, who are really great when it comes to like having sort of like a connection with Allah and um, the confidence and um, in the dua and all of those things like the 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 buckle and all but they're not very nice no <laughs> i mean they're uh, the ritualistic you know they're not great at fasting or they're not great at praying or you know all those things but but they're really super nice people and they have all that connection like it's it's mostly like in the heart um and sometimes it's it amazes me how beautiful is that. But I mean, so you said you should do a self-assessment and mm -hmm. the prayer and the quality and quantity, all of that matters. So I just, I was just wondering. And also the, uh, the focus part, like some people like myself, <laughs> um, I have a very, very short, attention span and no matter what I do I mean I have I really really struggle during the the salah and it's a constant struggle because I have to constantly come back try to like to make myself come back to it and my mind just keeps it, uh, going here and there mm -hmm. so like what does it tell me if it's in general, that's how, you know, my mind is. I mean, I just get distracted very quickly. And so what does it tell me about my relationship if, if the focus is really bad? I mean, I'm standing there in, in, with sincerity and trying, but oftentimes it doesn't work at all throughout mm -hmm. the prayer, even mm -hmm. though even when I would try to recite like some of the newly memorized mm -hmm. surahs, which I thought was a great way for me to really focus because I would be focusing on if I'm doing saying it right or not. Mm -hmm. So that really helps. But then after a while, when it becomes really, really fluent, then that distraction comes back. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering where would such a person stand? Yeah. Okay. So, so one thing, uh, what I'm hearing, and I might be overhearing, I might be overthinking what I'm hearing in your, in your, in your self-assessment is that it is bad. Uh, this shouldn't be our conclusion. I'm and, just wondering if it's, I mean, how should I think about it? I really yeah. don't know if it's good or bad, actually. I'm yeah. just confused. So, so in terms of the self-assessment, it's more identify where you are. As soon as you add good or bad, then that, they, that gets destructive. So I'm also uh, saying that in response to Jewel's point, once we make an assessment and conclude we are falling short, are you saying the remedy is then to look at how much ground we're engaging in the state of our prayers and prove there if we're not lacking? Uh, so I'm saying don't look at your self-assessment as falling short. Your self-assessment is you are is to figure out where you are and how have things changed. But a way to think about this is that 100% of humanity is falling short to the point that an eye, there's an eye in the Quran that uh, if Allah held us to account in this world for our sins, there would be nobody on the earth. And so, so the point is, is not to give it a value, like good or bad, it's how have I improved? 
but ultimately it's to get a sense of where am I? And the reason why I'm saying actions are the easiest thing to look at because there you can actually give you know, a clear answer to yourself. What am I consistent on? Even if the answer is zero, it's still a zero because then you can look at what the next step up is. Now, in the case of, of your question, uh, uh, Sadia, uh, <clears throat> uh, is it easier for you to focus on your prayers when you're going through a horrendous life struggle? Like you really, you know, you know, you have a sick family member and is it easier for you to focus on those prayers? Um, or the same problem? Yeah, no, the, the, it's the same normally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I'm then I'm, I might be thinking about them, you know, and come back and then again. So that is a constant struggle. Okay. So uh, I don't think that is necessarily reflective of the nature of your relationship with Allah. It can be, but first, I think it's just more of a, of a chronic issue of, of our era. That as it is, if there is no such thing as, as uh, cell phones, no such thing prior to that as internet, no such thing as television, no such thing as radio, uh, any one of us would have struggled focusing on our prayers uh, because Shaitan is going to keep trying to distract us. And, yeah, and so, yeah. sorry, sorry. Okay, yeah, you know, so, so the point being that having difficulty in focusing on your prayers, I think, is is uh, uh, even harder in our generation than it was ten years ago, twenty years ago, thirty years ago, because of how many different ways we're getting pulled. Uh, I suspect if you're able to turn off social media for a long period of time. Uh, you will probably find some of your ability to focus to increase. So what I'm actually saying is part of what you're describing is physiology as opposed to spirituality. Hmm. And nevertheless, uh, we'll do this, uh, this yearning exercise and uh, to get to a point uh, to help every one of us in terms of our dua and our prayers. And some of you have done this exercise with me. I don't think we've done it in this class. No, we haven't. Okay. So first thing I'd like you to each and every one of you to do is I'd like you to think of something that you would like that you could get right now. But you're not going to get it. Something, you know, anything. Try to think of something specific. And everybody has to think of something. You don't have to tell us what it is, but think of something. Like, for example, I can get up and stretch right now and just feel all the wonderfulness of stretching. Yeah. Or... You know, I can open up the window and let some of the cool air come in right now. So I want everyone to think about this. And I want you to focus on it uh, for the next 10 seconds. Okay. So, for example, I'm going to think about just opening up the window and letting, you know, fresh air come in. Oh, I'll even make it easier. Uh, I got a fan next to me. I'm just thinking about turning on the fan. Okay. And just focus on your thing. For 10 seconds. Okay, begin. Okay, stop. Uh, were you able to do it? Yes, no? Just focus for 10 seconds. Stop, like, yes, I have master control over my mind. I can do it. Yeah. Anyone else? Okay, Asha's yes, Jewel's yes. All right. Second thing. Uh, don't focus on the thing itself, but focus on whatever relief or pleasure it is going to give you. So now I'm not focusing on the fan. I'm focusing on my desire for cold air. So I'm focusing on the cold air itself. So figure out what that thing would give you and then focus on that for 10 seconds beginning now. Okay, stop. Able to do that? Musab, mind control master, able to do it? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Now we're going to escalate it. I want you to think about something you can't have right now, but something you can have soon. So, for example, if you're fasting, think of a delicious tall glass of water. 
So if you're fasting, think of something that you can't have right now. Or if you're not fasting, think of something you can get soon. It's just, you're going to have to wait a little bit, but not immediate. Apple AirTag, I, seriously? Okay. So think of whatever your thing is. So I'm thinking of this super tall glass of water, you know, even condensation is on the outside and such. Yeah. Okay, think about it for 10 seconds, begin. Okay, stop. Able to do it? So yes, okay, some of you are like, tell me anything about food, man. All right, so now part two, so 2B, uh, sorry if I was drinking in a previous class I came, okay, anyway. So, so 2B is now think about your thirst for that thing. So now I'm not thinking of the tall, delicious glass of water. I'm just thinking about how thirsty I am for it, yeah. So focus on your thirst, your yearning, your hunger, your desire for whatever it is you're thinking of. Okay, begin. Okay, able to do it? Yeah, some of you are like, okay, can you get on with this? I need my, I need my book orders. Okay, last round. I want you to think of something that you wish you could have, but in this dunya, you cannot have it. For example, you have a loved one who's passed away and you wish you could be reunited with them. Or for a lot of 20 year olds, it's the validation of your parents. Something that as you're getting close to your heart, thinking about it actually makes your heart tremble. It makes your heart tremble to the point that you get tears. So a loved one who's passed away, maybe someone who's passed away unexpectedly early. So, so some of you can't have in dunya. To the point you might even censor yourself from thinking about it. All right, now think about this, focus on this. It could be a reunion. Focus on that for 10 seconds, begin. Okay, stop. So now the last part is focus on your desire for that. So not the reunion itself, but focus on that feeling, which might be a feeling of pain. Focus on your desire for that. So in this case, this desire for this reunion, the pain, the yearning for it. Okay, begin. Okay, stop. The better you were able to do that last exercise, the, uh, or let me rephrase it, that yearning that you had in your last exercise, that sixth step, make all of your duas with that yearning, all of them. And you will see a change both in the way you make dua and in what you see in the results of your dua. And try to go to your prayers with that yearning. So instead of trying to focus on God with your mind, you're focusing on your need. And that will, inshallah, help a lot of people in their focus on their prayers, inshallah. And even for those of you who will be breaking your fast, inshallah, very shortly, do it, break your fast, make your dua with breaking your fast with that level of yearning, inshallah. Alrighty. Okay, we'll have a little bit more of academic mixed with uh, 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 application. Uh, Malahat, you had raised your hand a while ago. Yeah, yeah so just want to complete the circle. Um, uh, Ikrama, Imam um, Hazrat Ikrama and Imam Shabi, he actually said that um, Luqman is a Nabi, but you're right that the, the majority of them is saying is a Wali or Hakim. So Tafsir Nebr Katir and Tafsir Qartabi. Okay, so we'll stop right here, inshallah. 
And so your unofficial assignment is to look back and reflect on, on the developments in your life and to work more on this last part of your exercise as a way to figure out what is the yearnings of your heart and to allow yourself to feel those and to make all your prayers with those. Okay, subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubi ilaik. May Allah tell the word you all, inshallah, and we'll see you either in one minute or we'll see you on the, uh, tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi